you guys want to grab your Bibles here in a bit, we're going to jump back into our message in the book of Mark. We've been walking through Mark, and now in, in, in Mark's gospel, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17 this morning. Uh, some of you guys know a little bit about uh, my journey and, and my family's journey, but uh, we, we moved here to Austin about three years ago, coming up on three, three years here pretty soon, and and prior to us moving back to Texas, we spent 10 years doing inner city ministry. And, and we lived in, in South Dallas, just, just by Fair Park, right by the Cotton Bowl. And we did church planning down there. And then we also lived uh, out in San Francisco where we did church planning. And we also set up a, an urban seminary there uh, to work with guys that are coming out of recovery and, and sobriety. And, and in that process and in that time of journey and, and living a big part of our ministry was living incarnationally, which just is a fancy word for, for meaning living where, where we were ministering and living within the communities that, that we were working with. A big part of that was getting to meet all kinds of really interesting characters. We came across some, some incredible people. And I want to tell you a short story about a very good friend of mine that I, that I met in that season of ministry. And his name was Michael Cartwright. And, uh, and I worked with Michael, first met Michael out in San Francisco, and he was one of our first students in our urban seminary. Uh, a little bit about Michael, he, he would do a much better job telling his testimony than I ever would. But a couple highlights about Michael is that he, he spent 25 plus years on the streets in San Francisco, and he was involved with, with gangs and, and crime and, and violence and, and also drugs and involved with prostitution and a number of other things. You know, you name it, he was a part of it. Everybody knew Michael. He had developed this very rough, this very rough personality and kind of persona. All the cops knew Michael by his first name. But the thing about Michael is that God grabbed his heart. Uh, along those years, some point, God grabbed his heart, and Michael began a life of, of being transformed by Christ. And when I met Michael, he was two years into that sobriety. Uh, in fact, he had just gotten a job uh, at, a, uh, at a farmer's market there in San Francisco. And, and as I met Michael, he was starting another journey. And that's what I want to tell you guys about this morning. And this is a journey that he had that has impacted my life and getting to see this and witness this. Uh, Michael had started uh, going through uh, going through recovery with a place called City Team, a place that we worked with. Uh, down in, in, in downtown. And, and through this process, he, he had his job and he started to get really sick. And so he didn't have insurance. He went into the clinic and to the hospital and he find, found out that he had cancer in his gallbladder. And it was a very, very dangerous type of cancer. And so he spent months and months in the hospital. And there was points where, where it felt like he was on his deathbed. But as he, as he puts it, God healed him. And God removed that cancer. And this is what I want to share. When Michael was leaving the hospital, after almost a year being, being in the hospital with his cancer, when he was leaving, his, his doctor grabbed him. He said, Michael, Michael, I've, I've got some great news for you. He said that the state has just contacted us, and the state wants to give you a disability. They know your health and they know your, your history. And honestly, Michael, you're 50, 50 years old now. And because of your life and the chemicals that have abused your body, you have a lot of health concerns. 
He said they want to give you 100% of disability, and so you, you would have to quit your job, uh, but it would cover your housing. He, he lived in a tiny little efficiency uh, above, uh, above the sobriety house he shared with another guy. And as he told Michael this, Michael responded, and he said, he said, Doctor, I, I thank you for everything that you've done for me. I thank you for using the gifts that God's given you to heal my body. But he said, this job, this job that I have is, is much more than just work. And this job is, just, is much more than just a paycheck. Michael believed that God had given him this ministry, and he saw his job as a ministry. Michael was able to visit and talk with hundreds of people each day as they came past his booth in the farmer's market. He was able to interact. And some of those people, he was able to share part of his story with and part of his journey with the Lord with. But the big thing about Michael and the big thing about this job that was so important to him was Michael's boss. And you couldn't find a more different person between his boss and Michael. They were so opposite. His boss was a very wealthy businessman. He rode a bicycle. He was a cyclist. Uh, he was white, and he had lots of wealthy friends. He came from a family of great wealth, and he came from family family generation after generation of just really being able to, to live in, in luxury. His boss was really never without anything. Anything that he wanted, he had. But the thing that broke Michael's heart the most was that his boss didn't know Jesus Michael could care less that his boss never had financial needs or, or physical needs, that, that his boss had lived this life of luxury. That didn't matter to Michael, and, and it didn't bridge a barrier between him and his boss. His heart broke because his boss didn't know Jesus, didn't know the Lord. And so Michael poured into that, into that job. He tried to live out Christ-like character. And in our story today, in Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17, we're going to read this story about Jesus. And we're going to hear about the heart of our God. We're going to hear the heart of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus so far in Mark's gospel has told us that he's the Son of God. And now what Jesus is going to reveal to us and reveal to the, to the listeners and to the readers is Jesus' purpose for coming and interacting with humanity. We're going to read why Jesus is here in his love for the lost. It's an incredible story. If you would, I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to read our text. Lord, I just want to stop and, and take just a moment before we jump into your word. Lord, we know that your, your word is alive and it's active and it's sharp. Lord, we know that your word can penetrate our hearts. God, I pray this morning that you would speak through your word, Lord. I pray that you would speak through my, my thoughts and, and my stories. God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom as you teach us. I pray that, that your message from, from your scripture wouldn't fall on deaf ears this morning, Lord, but that we would hear and see the actions of your son, Jesus, as it portrays your love for all, for those that are sinners and weak. Lord, we love you. Amen. Mark two thirteen through 17 says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. 
Remember, this is the height of Jesus' popularity. He was growing incredibly popular. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. They had told their friends about Jesus. They heard of this rabbi that would do miracles and heal people. And so they wanted to see something amazing. They wanted to experience Jesus do something that they couldn't explain. And so they would come and they would follow Jesus and they wanted to hear Jesus and touch him. And so these crowds were coming around him and he was gaining this popularity. So our story continues, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and he followed him. 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, you'll see that bunch together three separate times, sinners and tax collectors. This is repetition that Mark's putting in there. It's important for us to be able to lump these two groups together, sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it's with this very obvious statement A doctor comes to heal those that are sick, not those that are well. It's very simple and it's obvious, but it's with this single truth that the Pharisees miss it. And in fact, this verse 17 is the very crux of our story this morning. And I want to read it in the NLT. I don't use the NLT a lot, but I like the way that they phrase verse 17. I believe it's in your handouts. Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And it is with this statement that Jesus turns the politics of religion and the culture of religion in that day completely on its head with this very bold and controversial statement. In fact, this is an incredibly profound statement. One of the most profound statements that Mark will record of Jesus in his entire gospel. My message this morning is this, is that Jesus has no need for people who believe they can earn a right standing before God because they do good things or because they follow some type of of moral guidelines. His invitation is for people who have a sense of need, like the sick, long for the doctor. And if we had an ability to achieve righteousness, to achieve a right standing before God, we would have no need for Jesus. There would be no need for Jesus to come to humanity. And so today we're going to look at Jesus demonstrate this this radical truth. And we're going to look at three actions that Jesus does in this story. And I want to pull out three things that that happens here to help us really understand uh, why Mark is telling us this story and to really highlight that last verse, verse 17. First, we're going to see Jesus invite Levi into a relationship. And it's this invitation that I want to make sure we catch here at the beginning. We're going to look at Mark 2, verse 14 through 
through 15 first. As I need a drink of water. Excuse me. Mark 2, 14 through 15. It says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus says. And Levi got up and he followed him. And we read this very similar story in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And we also read this account in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. In fact, all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this event. This is an important event. Make sure we don't miss this part in Jesus' story as he presents his purpose. Jesus gives an invitation to Levi, and his invitation says this. He says, follow me. And in the Greek text, this is a present tense command. He's literally telling Levi to be following me right now, not, not after you change things or not after you 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 write what is wrong in your life or not after you you try to adjust the relationships that you've tarnished but he says right now be following me incredibly powerful invitation and his invitation the magnitude of this invitation is best understood with who with who levi was or better yet what levi was and we can read in verse 14 A short description. He was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Levi was a tax collector. And we know a little bit about tax collectors through through history. We know a little bit about what they did and and their status. But but for Levi, he worked on a toll road. And this was a major a major kind of thoroughfare, a trading route that that merchants and, and people would go through as they came through this region in Galilee. It was a major road, and Levi would sit there at the toll, and he would collect toll money or, or taxes as people came through. Levi was a Jew, and it was very likely that Levi bought this tax franchise from the Roman government. And the deal about having this tax franchise was that he would have to pay Rome what they required. But the catch was, anything that he collected Above what Rome asked him to collect, he got to keep, and he got to pocket. And so this is how these tax collectors would become very wealthy. It was a very lucrative business, but there was a catch. Because the reality was is that Levi was collecting these funds, he was collecting these taxes, and he was cheating his very own people. He was cheating his fellow Jews. And as a result, this lucrative business had a a very serious deficiency. In fact, tax collectors were social outcasts, and they were denied the right to serve as witnesses or or judges in the court. And the worst part of all, the, the worst part of all about these tax collectors is that them and their families, not just them, but them and their families were completely excommunicated from the synagogue. They were not allowed to come. They were not allowed to participate. They were shunned. They were, as people describe it, kind of the scum of society. And nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. Even for a Jew, what was crazy is if a Jew was coming down the, 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 the way, the, the route, and he saw this toll booth, say the booth was, say the toll was 
was $3. I know it's totally different currency, but follow me. Say, say the toll was $3, and, and the Jew only had $5. He would hand the tax collector the $5 and say, don't hand me any change. They wouldn't accept change back from the tax collector because that change was dirty. In fact, the synagogue wouldn't even accept financial contributions from the tax collectors because that money was dirty and that money came from thieves and it came from liars and cheats. And so this is a very significant thing that Levi's a tax collector and incredibly significant that Jesus invites him into a relationship and invites him into a discipling relationship. We know that Levi becomes a disciple. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew calls this tax collector Matthew. He calls him himself. And it's very likely that Levi and Matthew are the same person, that Levi's name is changed later to Matthew, as Jesus did with some of his other disciples. Jesus's invitation was centered on Levi's need, not what he was. He, he saw Levi as someone that had a void in his life. Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. And we see this dramatic response. And although this isn't the, the main impact or thrust in, in our story, it's significant to understand his response. When Jesus called him, Levi's world changed dramatically because of his obedience. His life would be marked forever by the events of this day. He immediately left his work, his financial dreams, in his well-padded position. He left everything to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus right then, to be following Jesus in that moment. One writer puts this about, about Levi. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, It can be argued that of all his disciples, Levi gave up the most. He literally left all to follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John could go back to the boats. There were always fish to catch and always the old trade to which to return. But Levi burned his bridges completely with one action in one moment of time. By one swift decision, he had put himself out of the job forever. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. It's an incredible response. And so we see Jesus invite Levi into a relationship. And the next thing that we're going to see is our story begins to move farther and farther. We see Jesus demonstrate love for the lost. And it's a, it's a very incredible action as he literally demonstrates that which he's about to state in his purpose. So let's look at Mark 2.15. Mark 2.15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And Luke also describes this scene for us in his gospel. And in Luke 5.29, he says this, he says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a, a large crowd of tax collectors and others we're eating with him. And Matthew also gives an account. And the main thing we've got to see here is who's present and what are they doing? Mark emphasizes who's there and what actions are they doing? He wants us to know the type of people that Jesus is hanging out with. And the reality is 
is that Jesus has a crowd here at this house. Jesus has a gathering here at this house that he would never have at the synagogue. Jesus would never be able to have a conversation or share a life or be able to to help understand their needs because they weren't allowed in the synagogue. The only way that Jesus could start a relationship with them was by going to where they were at. And so Jesus goes to Levi's house and he sits down with these sinners and with these tax collectors, with these scums of the earth, as the literal identity is. And he shares a meal with them. Again, Mark points out who's there and what they're doing. He wants us to understand Jesus's heart. He wants us to understand who Jesus is spending time with. And in order for us to really understand the crux of this this cultural significance, we need to understand what what having a meal with someone in this culture really represented. Uh, What does it mean? Why is it so important that he ate with them? Is it just that, man, he just was hungry and had a meal with them? It's so much deeper than that. And and I found a, a great theologian who writes this about sharing a meal with someone in this culture. He says it was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. Peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. Therefore, guests were selected very carefully. And Jesus very boldly and dynamically lives out what he says. He doesn't just say, go out and make sure we're taking care of those that are in need or, or love those that, 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 that are in need or the, love those that are sinners or tax collectors. But he goes out and he does it and he loves them. And in this story, I think, I think we want to identify with Levi. I know when we read the gospel stories, and I do this, I think a lot of times we, we, we kind of pick apart and we want to play a role. And so we see ourselves as a character. or We try to identify with who we might be in this particular scene. And I think a lot of times, and me included, we want to be Levi. We want to drop everything and follow Jesus. We want to take that invitation and become one of his closest friends and, and be a disciple and be somebody who's making a difference. But the thing I want to challenge us with this morning is, is I, think, I think a lot of times we, we probably more closely resemble the Pharisees than we do Levi. And the question that, that I want us to ponder and I want us to be kind of churning in our minds as we follow this story, is there anything that you're still hanging on to? Many, many of us have accepted that invitation to, to follow Jesus We've accepted that invitation to to begin a journey with Jesus and to begin a a life with with knowing him. But is there something that we're still hanging on to? Did we really drop everything? And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times we have a mentality that we're still trying to achieve righteousness. We're still trying to do just enough good to make ourselves feel like we are righteous. Or to make ourselves feel like we uh, are on a particular standing or that we're a really good Christian. Jesus demonstrates here that he is all that we need. He gives us that righteousness. And this tension begins to to build in this story as we as we see kind of the last thing is Jesus confronts the religious culture. 
And I wanted to really use some strong language because that's exactly what Jesus does. I think a lot of times we picture Jesus, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody, but we picture Jesus as this, just this really nice guy. This guy that was, you know, just, just always looking to be everybody's friend. And this guy that, that, that just loved everybody and just was soft-spoken and, and, and just kind of wanted, wanted everybody to be okay. But the reality in the gospel is that Jesus was confrontational. Jesus didn't shy away from confronting these Pharisees on this legalistic system. He hit it head on, and he does that by eating with these sinners. This is public. He's incredibly popular. He knows people are going to see him. He knows that the word is going to carry, and these other teachers are going to catch wind of it, and it's going to throw them into a, a frenzy. But yet he does it anyway. Jesus confronts this religious culture. Mark two sixteen through 17, as we, as we finish our story. It says, when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, again, sinners and tax collectors together, he asked his disciples, or they asked his disciples, these Pharisees did, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 17, again, on hearing this, Jesus says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but to call the sinners, and you can just picture these Pharisees just building into a frenzy as they are building this hatred towards Jesus. And in chapter C, we, in chapter 2, we see four other accounts of Jesus confront these Pharisees. And we still see this hatred that is building towards Jesus, and it will continue to build just as Jesus is get, becoming popular and more popular with the people. So is the oppression and so is the opposition to himself, and he doesn't shy away from that tension. He hits it head on. What Jesus does is he, he, he brings a new system in, into this religious culture. And, and what he's doing is he's bringing in uh, this new system that these Pharisees see as totally, uh, totally opposite of what they've already had, and that's the Mosaic Law. That's the, that's the old system, the old covenant, and this old system that they follow very rigidly. In fact, they followed it so closely that it's become incredibly legalistic. And as Jesus brings in his system and this new system that God has told us about in the Old Testament, as he brings this in, they see it as a clash. But in reality, and the truth is, is that what Jesus is bringing in is not a clash at all. In fact, it's based in the Mosaic law. In fact, it's not coming in to totally remove the old system. It comes in to fulfill the old system, as Scripture tells us. The old system, the old covenant, uh, the Mosaic law was incomplete. It, It needed a Messiah, as Scripture tells us. The old system needed a Savior, the old system needed Jesus. And these Pharisees are just blind to it. They just, they just miss the point. They, they miss what Jesus is doing. And we'll see Jesus as he begins to share what he's doing and his purpose on with the rest of chapter 2 as, as we hear about it next Sunday with the old and the new wineskins as he begins to break that down more and more. I want to finish my story on, on Michael Cartwright. I didn't want to leave, leave you hanging with what happened to him. Um, I got a call six months ago, 
And uh, he calls and he goes, hey, hey, Pastor Jake, I got some great news. Um, he goes, remember my boss? And I said, yeah. I was like, Michael, I, I can't forget that guy. We prayed for him more than we prayed for anybody else. He would have us pray for this guy at Bible study and at, and, and, and with the seminary and at church. Anytime there was prayer requests, I said, yeah. And he said, you're never going to believe what happened. He said, this past Sunday, I baptized my boss. He said, this past Sunday, my boss came to my church that's full of ex-addicts and full of people with, with crazy past. And he came into that and he humbled himself and he, became, he began to follow Jesus and he began a life following Jesus and my heart just exploded. Honestly, I, I did never see that happening. And I'm ashamed to say that, that I didn't think that was going to happen. It took the faith and it took the prayers of this incredible humble believer as he continued to pray for his boss, this guy that was so different than him. And in that, we see the very nature of what Jesus is telling us. My challenge for us as we're closing is that there's tension that happens in our life as a believer. There's tension between staying comfortable and 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 coming on Sundays and having friends and, and, and even, even being in groups with believers. And there's a tension between that and really stepping, stepping out of our comfort zone. And it's a natural tension. And it's a tension that's so important to us for us to be able to begin to build. And I found a great quote that, that deals with this. And it says, we are called, we are called neither, uh, we are called neither recklessly, to risk ourselves, nor timidly to secure ourselves, but to find the point of life-giving tension between the two. And in that way, our worship and our fellowship have more point in our witness, more depth. And it's this tension that is so important for us to analyze in our life. And as we're looking kind of at application, as we hear this story and as we better understand this story and as we apply it to our life, I want to close with a question. That's just, who's your Levi? And whose house are you eating at? Who's your Levi and whose house are you eating at? As we gather here on Sunday, we realize that there's a culture that's still in our society that doesn't feel welcomed on Sunday morning. And the reality is, is that Jesus has called us out. As the church, we're called to be sent. The essence of mission, we're called to go out. And the reason we're called to go out is because we shouldn't expect everybody to just come in. If we put a sign out and, and say, come, come in, we'll have breakfast. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. That tension is for us to go out and share our lives with others. And as I look around this room, I'm encouraged tremendously because I I see families that are doing that. And I see those of you that are stepping out of those comfort zones and those of you that, that are beginning to share your story. Not, not the gospel, not scripture to share your story. What God has been doing in your life is so incredibly 
dynamic. Who's your Levi and who are you eating with? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have time to reflect and worship in communion. Lord, I pray that we would embrace this tension and longing to share our life with the lost, with the sinners, the tax collectors, the sick and the weary. Lord, I pray that your spirit would shine light on those that need it the most. Lord, I pray that with conviction, we would invite them into our lives and we would go to where they are. Give us the spirit of being sent, Lord, and give us a missional heart. Lord, we thank you for delivering to us your son Jesus and a savior who makes things right and makes things complete. Lord, let us be encouraged this morning and challenged as we act to live this out. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.